Welcome to episode 8 of Weaving In and Out with me, Tamor Lay. Lots of clubs have flags, and K's have more than most. 18 to be precise, as proved by the magnificent display at Macclesfield last season, where BBC viewers retreated to Jack Army, 12th Man, Sussex K's and Tara Diamond. In recent years, fans have downgraded somewhat from high-end reusable flags to the humble, homemade, often one-use banner, illegible scrawls on cheap Asda bedsheets, for example, which led the public campaign against Lee Dynan's managerial reign. Though often the bedsheet's visibility behind the goal was also disastrously undermined by mistakenly buying fitted rather than flat-cornered sheets, the elasticated ends curling up and obscuring the lexical abuse. A personal favourite was Alex Beard's huge 2017 banner, held up at the athletics end by industrial clips, which stated the words, Leatherhead is too far for indefinite period. A political slogan that proved highly controversial, not because anyone disagreed that ground sharing in Mole Valley would be a pain, but because he had, ironically enough, for reasons of space no doubt, elected to leave out the indefinite article before the word indefinite. These DIY traditions have a long history. Throughout the 1960s, enthusiastic schoolchildren would make and hold up manageably small K's for the Cup signs at Richmond Road, lovingly clear black font on white backgrounds. Another fine example of the genre was unveiled behind the goal at Molesey on Tuesday the 9th of February 1999, a series of A4 sheets of paper, possibly dozens, sellotaped together on which crude letters had been etched. It's even large enough that the warped, grainy VHS footage of the game can just about make out the words as it's lifted in the air, shortly after Eddie Akamoa scored his 100th goal for the club. It reads, Eddie, 100 goals for Kays, well done! Exclamation mark. Here's audio of the crowd reaction after Eddie has latched onto a loose ball in the box and reached the milestone. banner that night had in fact been made by Ollie Steele, who 20 years on is now an expert in data analytics and has a theory that Kay should always play home games on a Monday evening. At the end of this episode, Ollie lays out his research to the backing of an instrumental version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. The outro is worth waiting for. On to the interview. Eddie played for Kay's from 1993 to 2001, scoring 121 goals and achieving, well, almost everything you could have hoped for in a non-league career. So I started by asking him about that moment over 20 years ago, when he reached goal number 100. This morning I sent you uh, a YouTube video of your 100th goal for K's. Um, 
and I hadn't actually seen that um, that video oh. before. Molesy away, the 9th of February, 1999. Um, did you did you remember you remembered that goal pretty clearly in your mind? Oh yes, because I think if I remember rightly that it had taken me a few weeks to get. You know, it's like for some people, even you know, at a high level, they always reach some type of get close to a milestone, and then it takes them a few games to get to that milestone. And I think it was the same for me. You know, obviously I would have loved it to have been a, a bigger game, but the 100th goal was the most important thing, I suppose. So you definitely knew it was the 100th when it went in? Oh, yes, because, I mean, everybody had been telling me for the for the few um, weeks previous that, you know, you're 99 goals, and you know. And I think the crowd was saying, supporters were saying, well, we've got a surprise or something in store for you. So I was just wondering, I wonder what that could be. I thought it might be champagne, but I think it was a banner, if I remember uh, right. I, I was going to ask if you remembered. Yeah, it was a banner yeah. made by Ollie Steele using, um, I think, staples and A4 paper. Uh, and it said, Eddie, 100 goals for Ks, well done. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that because I think the boys were um, trying to get a rise out of me about that. But yeah, I was proud of that. I mean, anybody takes time to do something for you, you have to appreciate it. I, I, I really also heard that. that you appreciated it so much that you took it off him and then in the following game at Stevenage, you put it up in the dressing room. <laughs> I can't remember that, but if I did, <laughs> I can't remember that. You honestly. probably did it to wind up your teammates, right? Probably, 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 probably. Um, my, my, I have a theory okay. uh, that actually the mid-90s was a golden age for Kays and people forget it because of Chapel and then, you know, the rise and then the fall and the collapse. But that that when I, I started watching K's 94, 95, and it was a really, really fun time. A team that, you know, you and Jamie Under um, scoring lots of goals, um, Plymouth in the FA Cup, Brighton in the FA Cup, like all that pre-Chapel stuff. It was a good place to be, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, when you think of the great teams that any player can play in, you know, normally what happens at our level is that you have a, a team where you have a spine so the goalkeeper defense midfield forwards it all comes into play and I think for us we had good forwards but maybe we didn't have a good defense and you know it, it, we had a good forwards and maybe not a good midfield so that's what it was like for me when I look back at the good, at the good times I had at Kingston yeah, we were kind of, we were never really like in the promotion hunt, were we? But we'd score, shed loads of goals and be pretty inconsistent and then have a go in the cups. So that was kind of what K's oh, yeah. were. Yeah, I think in one-off games, we were, we were all, we always tend to did, do well. I always remember that. You know, I should have done more homework, but I do remember when I think of games, I can think of one-off games at Kingstonian under lights. It's a good chance that we'd win. Yeah. yeah, what are your memories of like the Brighton win in 94? For me, if I think of the Brighton game, that's probably the best atmosphere. I mean, people probably say to me, I don't know, Wembley, but I think for the drama of 90 minutes, for me, Brighton was probably from start to finish, from the, you know, warming up and seeing the ground near enough for to the end of the game and the pitch invasion, everything else. That was probably, for me, the best atmosphere I think I've had at Kingstonian. Yeah, and it was like almost like even the, the when the goals came was just what you want in a dramatic FA Cup game, like an early one and then an equaliser and then a late winner. Yeah, that's true because at the end of the day, I, I remember it's quite funny because my friends used to come and watch me and I think there used to be a, a bookmakers on the corner. And I think yeah, was, I remember. 
I think it was David Harlow. I think he came in and said to the boys that I think we were five to one and do we want to have it? So I think people putting in fives and tenors. And I remember my friends, I think I phoned them. I think I phoned them and said, oh, where this price? And a few of them put fives and tenors. And I think so many people put money on that I think that they closed the shop. If I remember rightly, they closed the shop at, when they heard that we'd won because they had too much money to pay out. <laughs> I don't think they had the money. But, you know, I'm sure someone will, someone will remember that story. But I do remember them saying that they've closed the shop because there's too many people coming to claim money because obviously they thought there's no way that Kingston are going to beat Brian. No chance at all. Playing with Jamie Undo, because obviously shortly after that, into league football. Yes, um, well, I, that was the first time I'd met Jamie, to be honest, because obviously the way I joined Kingston wasn't, I mean, someone said to me there was a, there's a Facebook group about non-league footballers and someone said to me, oh, Ed, I heard about how you joined Kingston. And I was like, mm. oh, I don't, I don't remember it like that, but, you know, um, but um, that's the first time I met him. Um, I think he, he played for Horsham or Horsham YMCA against Kingston, I think the season before, and I think he did quite well. And I think that's why Chris Kelly signed him and then obviously he came along he brought along Mickey his brother and Rodney Prosper as well and then obviously I I joined K's in the summer as well and then we kind of um just hit it off I think it's just one of those um partnerships that I suppose like most of the ones I've had really I don't think I really had any bad partnerships with, with players who I've played you know, for a long time with, to be honest. But we hit off pretty well. Him being back in the day when you would play two men, the big man, small man up front. So we hit off in that sense. We complimented compliment each other really well. So, but The first K's game that I remember us winning, like being at the game and us winning convincingly in an entertaining way, okay. uh, was 11th of March, 95, at home to Harrow in the league. Uh, Jamie Undar opened the scoring and you scored twice, including a penalty, 524 at Kings Meadow. I always wonder with footballers how much you remember. Do you remember a 3-1 win against Harrow in 95? No, to be honest, I probably remember goals I've scored or just parts of a game. I mean, if you said to me, Harrow, I wouldn't remember that. But I can remember games that season. Like if you said to me, Enfield at home, I'd remember that game because they had a crazy man called Al James Hannigan who used to chase me around the pitch all the time. So I remember that. And after my first game for K's against Halsbury, I think we won 6-3. So Carl Short and that was my old team. So I remember those type of... But if you said, you know, you pulled out a rabbit out of the hat like Harrow, no, I wouldn't remember that. Well, let, let me pull another rabbit out of the hat because John Fennick, who's still um, who's co-chairman, um, okay. uh, had a question about a game away at Harrow um that he remembers okay. and he says you were always so mild-mannered but he remembered there was one game away at harrow where you got booked and you clearly felt a sense of injustice and you got so angry that you went on to play a blinder and scored two goals and a 4-2 win do you remember that oh, yeah. yeah i think you know that's i think that was probably my one of the first two or three away games i think for case that i had and i think i remember yeah i got booked for some reason and i think I'm not, I don't normally get angry and show that type of emotion on the pitch, but I do remember, yeah, that was... And that's funny, because I think Graham Wesley and Graham Pierce, I think, played for Harrow in that game. And they went on to manage me in 96-97, if I remember rightly. So I do remember that. I think, I think one, of the, one of the goals was... I think I slammed it in, in 
bottom corner. And the second one, I think I ran the half of them for the field and ran the keeper, which was one of my kind of normal kind of goals in, in those early days, running running through and going around the keeper and putting it in. So I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. I do remember that. Uh, yeah, you do have the memories. You do have them there. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, and and I'm in not. that period, in the mid-90s, you were... There was a period at case when you were a student, right? And then you were working as an accountant. Yeah, um, I was um, I was at London Guild Hall because the reason why I joined case because I was at Carl Shorten and I did all, I did all right against Kingston and I played at Kings Middle and I thought this is really I like the ground it was a nice pitch and I remember my friend Ian Cox who went on to play for Palace and Bournemouth and Burnley I said to him this is nice can you imagine playing here every week I never actually envisaged that I would be there for nine years or whatever it was. But I do remember, because I, I, I liked, I always did well against Case, if I remember rightly. I think I played twice, scoring two and setting up two, I think, in the two goals of the previous season. So when I did phone Chris Kelly to ask about whether I could come down and try out, um, I remember, because I was at Union, it was more feasible for me to get from London, Guildhall University, where I was, to get to Case. So that's, so it sounds really weird, but that's primarily the reason why. To play at a high level, play at a nice place, somewhere which was easy access for me to get to from university being a poor student at the time and of course all that all that all that um l- lucrative isthmian premier goal bonuses um well you're talking about trying to get a goal bonus off chris kelly which was <laughs> getting anything off him at that time was difficult enough but no i never really thought of that you know i just i just liked playing football and scoring and enjoying and most importantly trying to entertain the crowd and that's when people say that, that gives me more satisfaction than anything else. The fact that people can remember, say, something you've done on the on the pitch, you know, a skill or a cross or a, you know, an assist or even scoring a, a good goal. That gives me more pleasure than anything else, if I'm honest with you. Did you in those mid-90s days, did you want to go into league football? Because I understood that Nottingham Forest were interested in you and obviously Jamie Undar went off to Torquay. To be honest, um, Tim, if I, if I think about it, from the age of 17, I had numerous chances, but it wasn't like it is now where, you know, you've got the sky, you've got the money. It just would have been a, a career to earn, say, a certain type of money. It, and for me, you know, for me, trying out a Millwall and Forest when it was Chapel and Oldham, Warnock wanted to sign me. You know, he, he put, um, I don't know if you remember, there was to be a guy called... Um, I think it was Stuart Barlow who was at Everton, I think, at the time. I don't know if you remember. He was a, you could probably Google him blonde. He was at Oldham, you know, and it was that proverbial, he wanted him out of the team, so he made him go and train with a youth team. Like, you know what, you always hear those stories at um, professional clubs. And I think I played in a game with him, Ian Orman, Joy, you might not remember him. He was a tall, lanky um, centre-forward who used to be at Aston Villa and a few others. And I did all right. We played against Grimsby away. And I think he really likes me. But again, it's always that old adage of the club want too much money, which I've never, ever understood. Because for me, I, if I was a manager of a team, I'd want to get as many teams to move onto a league club because it would just heighten the prestige and it would make other young people think if he's gone, then maybe I'll get a chance and go as well. So, And what year was that? Was that once we were in the conference? or No, that was 97, 97. Oh, okay, that was so begin, beginning of chapel. Yeah, beginning of chapel, because that's when I went. I went for a trial for Nottingham Forest, and it's quite a funny story where I went. I went on trial to Forest with a. With, I can't remember the. I was a, a guy at Crawley. I can't remember his name. Me and him went up to um, Nottingham Forest, and 
for the three or four days that we were there, the coach kept talking to me in pidgin English. Like he was saying, are you okay? <laughs> we're training at the ground. And I was thinking, is this, does it, was this his normal, you know, <laughs> the way he normally spoke to people? And um, it worked out that he thought that I'd come over from Africa on trial. <laughs> so that's why he was talking to me in that way. So when I went back to play a game for them, he apologised. Oh, I didn't know. I thought you was on trial. So can you imagine, for three or four days, he thought that I was some foreign entity, you know, couldn't understand a word of English. So even though I was just nodding and thinking, this man's crazy, there was a reason behind it, which I found out later. That always makes me laugh when I tell that story to people. The boy from South London. I don't, you, also had, you, also had a, you also had a career of people pronouncing your name wrong, didn't you? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's always been like that. Always be. Go on, like give that. give me your second name correctly pronounced. My surname, my surname correctly is Akwamwa. That's what the a- name is. Akwamwa. Yeah, that's what it is. You'll but be until the day you die. You will be Eddie Akamoa. Oh yes, always. <laughs> Even when I'm out shopping, I'm someone will just someone will say my name in Kingston. You're like, oh, God. you know, it always makes my mum and my auntie laugh. You know, if they're ever with me or my brother, whoever, they always laugh and say, why do they always pronounce your name like that? So you can tell them a million times, it's never going to change, is it? Ghanaian, right? Yes, that's right. Yes. Well, you've set the record straight. That's all right. I don't think people are going to be calling me that just out of interest. Of course, your your song your song never included your second name because it was just Eddie, Eddie, Eddie over over again. Oh yeah, Yeah, it was actually. Someone said to me, "Can't they think of a uh, a better song for you?" I said, "Always, it's always best to have a song than no song." Oh, yeah, definitely. And in fact, there was a minor scandal last season because no one has ever had that song since you left. Okay. Uh, But now we have a striker called Eddie Desain and he was on a and he was playing really well and he scored a goal and people started chanting Eddie, Eddie behind the goal. But then half the other people, I I should mention Ali Kazimi here, (laughs) were saying, no, that song is sacred. That that cannot be like, okay. That song that was, been, you know, like when you hang up a shirt and you say, we're never going to have that shirt play. Oh, <laughs> shirt a bit like, um, like the NBA, like when, exactly. they, when they retire people's shirts. OK. I was thinking because I was trying to look up um, some of your goals on YouTube, but because of the era you played in, there aren't that many goals online. Like even I couldn't find the goal at the one nil, the goal at South End in the FA Cup. Oh, it's funny because um, I put that on my Facebook and people were like, I didn't know that. And it's actually it's not. I think it would take because... You know, obviously, it was 2000, 2001. I mean, can you imagine if from 94 till 2001, we had camera phones and, you know, there was a camera every game, you know, because I tried to get a few of my goals. That, like One of my best goals was Enfield away. And that I think I tried to find a person who did it online. And he, I think he said that they've all been destroyed. And I was gutted. So now I've got to try and find someone who's got end of season Enfield tape. Or because there was a... Um, wasn't there a guy who used to do all the Kingstonian games? I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of VHSs. And okay. A guy called Richard in Wigan has loads of these. So I'll ask him. If I can get that online for you, I promise to do okay. it. Okay. That's, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And then after the um, that mid-90s period, Jeff Chappell comes in. And I believe you were, you were one of only two players that he retained. Yes, um, I think to be honest, I think Jeff had probably watched us and probably thought this team isn't good enough to win the league. And I think he wants to have a proper cull. So I think the only people that stayed were me, Colin, 
Steve Darlington and maybe one other who tried in pre-season. But I think Jeff had his vision already. You know, don't forget the previous season, me and Steve have scored 26 goals each. So we were of the opinion that we'd at least get a chance to play together. But obviously Jeff brought in David Leeworthy and it was always going to be a case of David and one one or the other. So it was always a case of, say, Darla would play up to about 55, 60 minutes. If he wasn't doing it, I'd come on, start the next game, and it was that. And it was a case of probably who would buckle first, and I think Darla probably thought no. And then I think they signed Jamie Endar back, and he probably thought that's it, because I think Jeff always wanted to have that, say, three or four forwards. A bit like, you remember, do you remember, not saying we're on that level, but Man United when they had Cole, York, Solskjaer and Sheridan. Mm. Jeff, want, Jeff always kind of wanted to so say it would be me, Lee Worthy, Darlow and Ender. So that's what I think he wanted. He wanted four forwards. So at the end of the day, whatever happens, any scenario, he could throw one or two on to change the game. But you were always a bit more versatile, weren't you? Because you could, you could play kind of left side as a forward yeah. as well, couldn't you? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I suppose that's where probably um, I had an advantage over the other two, where they were out and out centre forwards, whereas I could play left midfield or right midfield. So that probably helps me, you know, in that case, if I'm honest. And what what's your highlight of that that chapel time when you think of moments or goals or things with the team that two two three years? Um, I think winning the league because I'd, I'd never won the league or even come close at that level. You know, we'd always had a good start or a good middle, but we're never consistent, we're never strong enough, and teams like Stevenage or Yeovil, Enfield, they were always up there, and Kingston always finished between 8th and 13th, and it, and it frustrated me, because I always wanted to have that feeling of going for a league title, so winning the league was a, you know, because obviously the best team always wins the league, you know, my team's Liverpool, hopefully when this lockdown's over, we will win the league, so I can shut up everybody about it, but for me, winning the league, but obviously the trophy, because I'd never, I never ever envisaged that me growing up in a council estate in South London would ever get an opportunity to play at, you know, a stage in like Wembley and then in the second year score. Never. Never. Honestly, Tim, I never ever. If someone had said that to me when I was nine or ten growing up in Battersea, that I would do that and score at both ends, not a chance. I'd have laughed at you. There's such a lovely picture of you and Amara Simba. Oh, the, at the at the um, final at the end of the game. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Simba was Simba was good to play with. Completely different to Leeway. He was probably more flair. You know, he was French. You know, flamboyancy and he did touch. Like for the if you if you've watched the goal, you know, it was one touch, two touch. It played me in on goal, and then I didn't have to break stride and I just took a touch and then I scored. And that was just Simba all over. Brilliant to play with. Brilliant to play with. But you you stepped up a level up to conference football and. I mean, it just never seemed like you found it a difficulty. Like you, you just there was a two, three year period where you got better and better. I think maybe even Chapel was surprised. Yeah, I think they were. Because to be honest, um, after I think when we got promoted, I remember talking to Lee Worthy, and it, and I think I'm not sure whether I was going to leave or the word going around. I remember were a few of the directors were saying, I don't think he's good enough to make the step up a level. And I've always been one of those people, Tamer, where when you say to me he won't do it you'll never do it just something within me says okay I'll show you and that's always been me from a young age you know I'm very very competitive you know I play tennis and I play short tennis well I even play games like Monopoly really well and I'm really competitive so 
I've all, if you speak to any of my friends and they say if you play Eddie at any game one on one, you have to bring your A game. Not to be big headed, but if you watch how my friends say we'll play against someone else, say they played against you or Ali, and then they played against me, it's a completely different camp. No, no, no disrespect. I'm just saying because of the way I am that I will, I always want to win. I, I can take losing, but I always want to win. So you know, if you're going to play against me, especially a game like tennis or any other type of game, you're going to have to bring your A game to the table if you're going to beat me. And you yeah, were working full time, like those two conference years. You were working full time, right, as well. Yeah, yeah, and that was and that was a hard thing because we were playing against teams who were full time. So it was always a badge of honour for us to play against Rushton or Yeovil, Doncaster. My you're trying my memory now. You know where say they've been resting all day or travelling, and we've been working, and then come come to a game and play. But you get used to it. It's just that the conference is on a different level. It's on a different level altogether in terms of the professionalism, the organisation. And that's what I found. It became, it was a few of the games, Tamar, when we first started, they were like chess games, like our first game against Hereford, I remember mm. rightly. It was like a chess game. Normally, Ryman League games, you just go for it, you know, like a basketball game, you know, you attack, we attack. But conference games, you found that teams were like, we're coming to your, to your ground with a point, we'll leave a point. Anything else is a bonus. So it was a bit, of a KGF at the beginning, and then we I think Lee Worthy scored or did um Joe oh, Francis. Don't know Joe. I say I think I set up Joe Francis. I think I set up Joe Francis, and then I think Lee Worthy scored. So then the game opened up, and that's what I found most of all. It's very very tactical, and that's what I had to learn because I, as I said to you, I don't think people felt I could step up the level to the extent that I think I got a call up to the um fa 11 game i think i played i think ali came to watch actually i blame ali because i haven't got a picture of me in the england top and ali offered me the chance to get a picture and i was too shy i think i was i had my top and i didn't take it off so i still blame ali anyway for that but yeah that's how that's how much i enjoyed it i think just proving people wrong you know people saying that you can't do it oh he's not good enough and then you know they don't say come up to you and say to you oh i admit that i was in the wrong they just kind of eat humble pie do you think people so. people did underestimate you? Because I, my impression was that you were not someone who mouthed off or kind of bigged themselves up. You just got on with it. But if you're that kind of character in non-league, sometimes people underestimate you. Yeah, of course. I mean, if you're kind of quiet and unassuming, people can see that maybe as a weakness and they just think they can think and they form, formulate an opinion, you know, without actually knowing you. But as you said, as I say to you, I'm not one of those people who go out to hurt people in a football field, but I can look after myself. But I, I always felt that, you know, oh, if people don't rate you, that's fine. You, all you can do is have belief in yourself. And if you've got people around you believe in you, then I think you can achieve most things. But who but, helped but... you learn some of that tactical side of the game? Because Jeff Chappell famously wasn't a tactics man. He was kind of just there to get the team together and inspire and all the rest of it. What, 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 how, how did that team develop so far and so quickly? Well, well, I think for me, when I look back, if you think about it, Tamar, most, actually, I think I was the only person in that team who hadn't been at a, a pro club in any shape or form. I'm not talking about being on trial. I'm talking about, you think of pitcher, he'd been at Millwall, Luckett had been at Millwall, Matt Crossley played in the league for Wickham, um, it was Steve Farrelly being in the league, um, Patterson had been in the league with Wickham, Tarkin had been at Barnet, um, Dean Hooper had been at Barnet. No, he actually didn't, didn't play us that first year, but Barnet. Um, who else was there? Um, Lee Worthy being a professional footballer. 
So I think I was the only one, I think, who hadn't been at a professional club. So in there, they have had that level of professionalism already. So it wasn't that difficult for them to, say, switch it on and off. They knew what we had to do, how to prepare, because they've done it previously. I was one of those people from a young age, even when I was at Carl Shorten, watching Jimmy Bolton and John Warden, I always watched the older people because my theory was, if you're an older person playing a young man's game when you're 33, 34, 35, 36, there must be a reason why you're still playing. And Lee Webb, you always said to me, Ed, always stretch, always stretch, whether you're at home, always stretch, always stretch your limbs. And it's something that I passed on to young people. I don't pass on knowledge like I'm the big I am. I always pass on knowledge that they can use and move on to other people. That's the way I've always been. So I, always, I, was, I was always a watcher of the older players, how they prepared, how they conducted themselves. And obviously, there's some things you like, some things you don't like. You know, eating the right foods. I only learned about eating the right foods when I went to Japan in 95 for the student games. You know, I would have probably been those people who would have drunk a can of coke or whatever. But I quickly learned over there about the right foods. I didn't know about pastas in those days, but I quickly learned. And it's something I then passed on to the younger people. So that's the way I've always been. And that's why now, I maintain, if you think about it, from the age of 17 to now, I'm nearly 48. I've only put on two and a half stone in 31 years. That is, that is, and my body fat's probably gone from at its highest, which was about, no, sorry, lowest, which was about 8%. I'm probably now on 15 or 16. So that's the way I've always been. So when, for instance, it's a funny story. When Wesley joined in 96, 97, we lost a game on a Saturday and he made us go to David Lloyd on a Sunday to do like circuit training because that was the way Graham Wesley was. And he said, um, and we was doing the circuit and he was trying to push me, but I've always done that on my own. And he said to me, I can't believe you're doing this because I've heard that you don't like training. I've heard that you don't look after yourself. And I said, oh, well, at least now you're seeing for yourself. So it was, that was always frustrating, but it always made me laugh that he was sort of saying that. I'd heard that you didn't like training. I always said to him, you can't play at this level and not be fit. And especially the type of game I had, you couldn't pick and choose when you wanted to run or when you wanted to perform. It didn't work out like that. And when you... Speaking of proving people wrong, mm-hmm. we, we get relegated and Bill Williams comes in and there's a quote from him where he says, well, Eddie had a lean spell last season and it's time for a change. And I remember like fans just couldn't believe it when you left in the summer of 2001. What was going on with that? Did you and Bill Williams, did he ever talk to you? Well, it's funny, you know, you say that because I was talking to um, a relative of mine the other day and um, and. To be honest with you, Tim, this is how the story went. Well, towards the end of the season, that season, we was having a bad time. I know we had Southend and Bristol City, but in the league, we struggled because when I look back now, being more of a thinker of the game, I remember we played a 5-2-3 system. Um, it was more of a flat-back five, whereas beforehand, behind me, I'd had Tarkin and Dean Hooper. So they were flying wing-backs, and we became more rigid. And the team, I don't think, could really perform, you know, of the levels of the FA Cup, which we needed in the league every week. But towards the end of the season, I think we they brought in Steve Sedley. And, and the, a few of the players were asking me, Ed, what are you doing next year? Are you going Farnborough? Are you going here? And I was like, well, I don't know because I haven't heard anything. So obviously, on the grapevine, within their own quarters, they've heard that the club are going to release me. End of season comes and it's come May, June. I haven't heard anything. Then I get a call from Bill Williams. I was like, oh, 
he said, "Oh, Eddie, what's happening with you?" I said, "To be honest, I haven't heard anything from the club, and I think they they I think they're going to release me." And he and he said to me, "Oh, well, you know what? I haven't heard anything about it, and I want to be part of my fans. I'd like you to stay." I went, "Really?" I said, "To be honest with you, Bill, I think the best thing for you to do is." Go back to the club, talk to the directors, because obviously I think Jeff Chapel had left by then, I think. I said, talk to the club and see what it is. But I think it's best for you to find out from them, first of all, what's going on, then come back to me. He said, all right, I'll do that. So I think a week went by, then I think he then phoned me the week the week later and he said to me, oh, Ed, um, yeah, I spoke to the club and they said that the decision had been made already and there's no going back on it. And I thought, in my head, I thought, well, if you're the manager, you should be able to say, you know what, I want him here. But obviously, whatever he'd been told by Chris Kelly or Terry Wheel, the, the director at the time, was like, no, we don't want him. You know, he's lost it or whatever. You know, he's, he's done. He's been released. You know, even though I haven't had, I didn't have no type of P, P45, you know, Ed, thanks for your service. It wasn't that at all. So I thought, oh, OK, I said, Bill, you know what? Thanks for, thanks for calling me. Um, good luck, you know, for the season. He goes, anyway, I hope, I'm sure you'll find a team. So I thought, OK, I thought, oh, what a nice guy. Then I get a call from um, the informer. I don't know if you remember, there was a guy at the informer, I think, called Mark Olovac. Olovac? Yeah, no, I do, I do. You remember him? Mm. I think it was either him, he phoned me and spoke to me, or it was his editor, whatever, phoned me and goes, Ed, what's happening with you and Case? I went, oh, well, I spoke to Bill, and um, he's going to come back to me. So he goes, you know what, I'm going to phone him, see what's going on, then I'll get back to you. I went, all right then. So he phoned me and goes, oh, Ed, have you heard from him? I goes, yeah, I spoke to Bill and we had a conversation. I goes, it was all right. He went, well, I had a different story because he said he spoke to Bill and he said that Bill was very, um, what's the word I can think of? He wasn't very um, nice about you. That's what I would say. He wasn't very complimentary towards you. And he said his legs have gone. He wasn't doing it anymore. You know, it's a waste. He should move on didn't really want him, wasn't going to fit in my plans. And I thought, that's a completely different conversation to the one I had with him, which which kind of took me aback. But I remember I was with my auntie and she was just laughing because she was like, you see, you do all this service for people and this is how they treat you. So I was just like, okay, you know what, fine. He goes, have you got anything to say? A comment. And I, you know, the worst went, certain words went through my head. I said, you know what, the best thing for me to do is let him think what he thinks and I think what I think. But I'm just telling you what he told me. What you want to print is your business. But I had a conversation with him, which I thought was amicable, and it was adult-like. I didn't think that he would go down that road of just talking, especially talking to a, a man of the press, being brutally honest. He could have said, oh, you know, we just want to go in a different direction to the club, but he didn't. He chose to to say those words. And the funny thing is, I think so many years later, I played for Sutton at a game at Maidstone. I think he became director. He was something to do with Maidstone. I think Maidstone United. And I played in a game um, down there. It was like a Vets tournament, a four-team tournament. And I saw him. And as soon as I saw him, he just turned and walked away. And I thought, yeah, that just about sums you up. And I'm just being honest, Taymor. You can go and ask him. I'm not one of those people that will make up a story or fabricate, you know. I wouldn't no, I mean, uh, feel bitter about it. It was he, just the way it was. And he goes down as one of the all-time most disastrous case managers right i mean he comes in on a decent budget um by september of 2001 we lose the day in fact the day we lose to brockenhurst in the fa cup and very soon after we go into administration and on that day you scored a hat-trick for sutton okay and then you go on to play for years and years scoring goals and it was madness because when you left case i think that your stats were you had 121 goals and 366 appearances 
look. And it's just it beggars belief that he made that decision. But you knew it wasn't. Well, who knows what? What? I mean, I no, suppose. That's fine. No, go Chris, on, sorry, go on, sorry. I was going to say, I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I mean, he says it was made before he arrived, but I don't think that's true. Um, but it, but I, I'd like to ask that even though you left in those circumstances, like your affection for Kays seemed to have seemed to stay. I mean, and you're still a big part of Kays. In fact, I think the summer you left, there was like a there was an event at the Kingston Working Men's Club, wasn't there? Oh, yes. I remember. I think for Colin, me, Colin Luckett and Jeff Chappell was there, if I remember right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I remember. Oh, yeah. That was a Friday night by the Fallen Telephone Boxes, I think. Is that right in Kingston? Yeah. 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 I remember. Yeah. Because um, Claire Dedman's dad. Um, Colin. Yeah, Colin. He phoned me because he was like, Ed, are you going to come? Because obviously, I think he felt, you know, the way the situation was. And obviously, um, the way I'd left and everything else, you know, he, he might have thought, but I was like, you know what? What's done is done. You can't do anything about it, you know. As I said, you know, you just have to try and keep moving on. That's all you, that's all you can do. That's all you can do. And plus, you know, obviously, I did the Vets team as well. So, you know, I couldn't have, it's not like I was bitter about anything. If not, I wouldn't have done it, you know. I like the club and I, Again, I felt that I could formulate a team together that could um, win a competition. Yeah, and we hope that once we get our own ground sorted, you come back and the Vets gets going again. And you were also <laughs> there for the night we did when we said goodbye to Kings Meadow, I think. Oh, yeah, I was there, yeah. I was there at um, Kings Meadow. Yeah, I mean, the Kings fans have always, you know, they've always been good to me. I can't say a bad word about them, you know. I've already been upset that I joined Sutton, but... You know, they've always been good to me. But most of the team, you know, when I think of the only team that obviously I don't get on well with is Bromley fans who didn't like it. Again, going down there again, when I went down there, you know, trying to change a team who had finished near the bottom, make them change their mental approach to the side of the game. It was just too much for some of those players. Now you talk to some of them, they understood what I was trying to do. But, you know, it's like when you try and move things too fast. You know, some people think you've got another agenda. And my agenda has always been to try and improve players. Always. It's never, ever been a um, a me, me, me situation. It's all about me. Never. Even with the vets. Even, I mean, I've never, no, it's, it's never been me. So, in the day, someone said, oh, you know, he's a selfish player. I would say to you, think of all the forwards I've played with, from Jamie to Carla Sabra to Lee Worry to Darling and Ask them who they prefer playing up front with. Someone who's going to set them up goals or someone who's going to be greedy and not, you know, <laughs> just to dismiss them. You know, that's where I've always been. People, my friends were all in my brother would always say to me, shoot, shoot, shoot. But my brain's always been that type of analytical brain where in a space of three or four seconds, I will say, is there more better chance of me scoring or that person scoring? And that's the way I've always been. Well, where it's been to my detriment. Although I do have to ask you about one particular wonder goal where you certainly didn't pass and ran the length of the pitch and scored. And that was in April 2002 for Sutton against Kays, where you quite jubilantly celebrated, I think, in front of the Kays directors. Um, And half the Kays fans at that game were applauding you, applauding the directors. And then the other half (laughs) were booing. But I I, I remember it so clearly um, because it was just it was just brilliant. And the best I looked up some of the old newspaper cuttings. And the week before, you're quoted saying, oh, it's just another game. It's not a big deal. But when that goal went in, it, it kind of was, wasn't it? And I, I totally understand it. Well, I, I think, to be honest with you, I mean, think about it, Tamer. When, when, when you hear you hear that people say, your legs are gone, he's, he's not this, he's not that, it doesn't matter what level, what sport you play. It can be, I can watch American football, 
you know, my team's Dallas Cowboys and we had a guy this year who went to another team and he played really well. And you're thinking, where did that come from? So I think within you as a human being, if people are telling you that you're not this or you're not that or he's this, and I think, you know, people like Chris Kelly and Terry Weir and all those other directors, you know, I remember, the, I, think the, I think the week before we played you at Gander Green Lane and I think it was a nil-nil, nil-nil game. And Steve said he was manager and I didn't get on with him. And it was so much heat and it was so much drawn up inside me, so much animosity. And I just, I felt so, I think for once, I actually felt so angry. And I think that's probably one of the only times, not once, I think it's the only time I felt bitterness towards Kingstonian because you're thinking, you've given service to this club and this is the way they treat you. You know, where's the, where's the respect levels? But you've got to understand, it's people. They're not going to glorify you and put, you know, put your name up in lights. So I think for me scoring that game, and I think what Rainsy did at Sutton, he made me captain that day. So give me more of a uh, sense of responsibility. So, you know, and so I think he kind of knew, you know, he kind of knew what it meant to me, you know, being captain for both of those games. When he said, Ed, your captain. So I was like, me, captain? I thought, oh, okay. So I've got responsibility, not only, you know, for myself, but more importantly for the club and the fans and the other players. And scoring that goal, obviously, you know. And the funny thing is, I, I remember scoring that goal and someone saying to one of the players, oh, I heard Ed scored a good goal. I was all right. He just luckily went through two or three of us and scored. I was like, mm, OK, fair enough. You know, what can you do? That's the way it is. Did you ever have a feeling in that, in your last season at Cades, that, that it wasn't being run very well, that the money was not being looked after, that there were going to be clouds on the horizon? I think, to be honest with you, Tamar, I've always said... Whatever team you support, you can always you can always tell. It's like my team's Liverpool. Not I'm digressing for a minute. My team's Liverpool. So if we got rid of Mane, Salah, or Firmino, or one of those three, or two of those three, if we bring in Werner and Sancho, I can deal with that. If we bring in a lower class player, the whole team will suffer. And I think after we the second Wembley, I thought right, maybe now we can kick on and maybe make a goal for the, league, for the league. But there were rumblings in the summer, I think, over money. I know Simba wasn't happy with the money. He wasn't being promised. Mark Harris was having contract issues. I was having contract issues. We'd got rid of Matt Crossley. I think we got rid of Lee Worthy. And I always yeah. say, if you're going to replace those players, Tamer, and we got rid of Tarkan. We brought in Beard. You know, he wasn't a Tarkan-type player. A good right-back, but not a wing-back. And, I've, and if you if you went through that team of 99-2000, Tamar, and then looked at the team of 2001, it just wasn't strong enough. And I always felt, we do okay, but we could struggle. FA Cup one-off games, brilliant. But if you don't replace the players going out with the same quality or better, you're going to struggle. I don't care what any... I can argue with your current manager, your chairman, Ali, I'm telling you now, that if you don't replace those players the same or better and some will say well that's obvious well if it's that obvious then why then why do people you know buy certain players and that's what it was it wasn't but like were you still biggest... were you still shocked by how badly i mean after you left the fact that we went into administration we lost king's meadow and all the rest of it that must have still been a surprise it was but i think it's just a snowball effect or from that 2001 period you know building the new stand behind you know people say it's a case of you know i've always been taught you know you crawl walk run and maybe Kingstonian started to run before they did anything else. That's the yeah, and analog- then we tripped. The- we tripped badly. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's the analogy. And you know, once you're and then you're chasing, you know, then you know, Kozla comes in. You know, again, I met him. Said he was a wonderful guy. 
because when it went to administration, I remember they needed a certain amount of players to sign off for the, I think for the, the whole scheme to go through AFC. And I thought that the players would all stick together. I remember talking to Colin Dedman about it, and I was saying I really thought we'd all stick together to make sure that everybody got something. But what can you do? <laughs> it's life, Tamar. That's that's what happens. But in answering your question about the club the way the club went. I, that's that's the way I just saw it. From when they lost the when from when AFC moved in, I just knew it's only a matter of time before they want them out. It's only a matter of time. And, and gradually and the way I saw it, it was always gradual. You know, they lost the club shop, then they lost this, then it was bar taking, then it was attendance, then it was this. And I just knew it was only a matter of time before the inevitable happened, which is obviously a shame because, you know, it's a big club. And the ground was one thing when Dallas was there, which was the pool. And that was one thing that pulled me, it pulled Dala. You come to the ground and you think, wow, can you imagine playing here? Because it's not like going, no disrespect, it's not like going to a Mosley or, you know, a Chesham or any of those, or Carl Shorten. You know, it's a kind of a modern ground with a nice professional feel to it. It's just the same that it wasn't run in that same professional manner. That's just from my um, point of view. Yeah. And did, did you follow our exploits last season in the FA Cup and uh, success oh, yeah. under Hayden Bird? Oh yeah, I definitely did. I, I came to the, I think I came to the game against Flyers. I watched the uh, football focus and it was nice to see um, the goals from Jamie Ender. I didn't see myself end goal, but I saw Jamie. <laughs> oh yeah, they did I a saw, montage, didn't they? Yeah, I think so. I thought, oh, I might see so, so the boys. I think, I by the way, Eddie, I think your South End goal was in that montage. Was it really? Yeah, 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 because they talk about that golden period, and then that's why that's why it triggered my memory of, of being behind the goal when that went in. Oh, okay. I, I must have missed that one. I think I was probably sulking. I probably turned to the fridge or something to get a drink when I didn't see him. <laughs> when I didn't see it, but yeah. no. Um, yeah, I did follow it because I, I kept willing, hoping, hoping because I want because I it's like anything. I just wanted those players to experience what I experienced. Do you know, I can remember watching K's when they played against um, Peterborough. And the yeah. coin being thrown and everything else. So when I saw K's um, kept progressing, kept progressing, I was thinking, go on, you know, hopefully they'll progress further, get a good draw. You know, like when you played um, Macclesfield. Yeah. Is it Macclesfield? Yeah, Macclesfield. I thought, yeah, you know, they went on and I thought, yeah, get a good draw and hopefully, you know, second, third round, who knows? Who knows what could happen? But, and yeah. when you played for K's in the second round of the cup yourself, mm-hmm. at home to Aylesbury, Oh god! Uh, and if you if we'd won that game, I believe we would have had QPR away. Yes. And we lost four one. And Aylesbury were kind of the national darlings because they had that celebration where they walked in a line like ducks. Oh yeah. But I, I sometimes that. wonder, like, that must have been one of your lows as a K's player to get that far, and then lo- and they were in our league, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I think, the, the, to be honest, when I think of my FA Cup experience with Kingston, it's been up and down. You know, from my first one, I think, the first bit, I think we played the Met Police. And um, that's what I mean about growing up in football and being naive. I ran across a defender called Paul Carruth, who ended up playing for, for Kays. And he stuck his knee in my fight, gave me a dead leg. So that rendered me for that game. And we ended up losing 1-0. The game didn't go well. Chris Kelly was f- absolutely fuming, I remember. You know, i never forget he said to me, your reputation betrays you or portrays you and I was like what does that mean or something like that and I always you know we always remember certain quotes I always remember that quote from him you know and then obviously the next year I think we played Dover in a fourth qualifying round against Lee Worthy and they 
battered us, Tamar. They battered us. I think Lee Worthy scored. I think they went one nil up, or we went one nil up, and then I think Rodney Prosper scored, and we got a flick on from a corner, and then I scored, and we won two one. And then obviously we played Brighton, and then obviously we to play Ellsbury. The funny thing is, Jamie was the hero in the first round, and in the second round, I think in the first few minutes he had a golden chance to score, and he pulled it wide. They went up the other end, ball drops, Hercules, and then the rest is history. You know, would I would I turn the clock back and change anything? No. I think the best thing for me, Tamar, just before you go, is probably I mm. wish I could have gone into the league and just seen how far I could have gone because my friend Cole played in the semi-final. Ian Klopp's played for Burnley in the championship. I'm not sure in the premiership. And I played with Andy Scott, played for Sheffield United. And, you know, we was all kind of similar levels. You know, it's just whether when you get into the pro-game, how much you're you're willing to dedicate yourself. And as I said, you know, I think I would have I think I would have done okay. How high? I wouldn't want to say I would have played here, there or anywhere. But you know, it would have been nice to have known how far I could have got. But it would have been nice to have had a better send off with Kingston. It, that would that would have been nice. But, you know, I thought about it, you know, I've come from Carl Shorten to Kingston, never played in the FA Cup. I've scored in all seven rounds of the FA Cup Tamar. And I'm not a prolific goal scorer. I'm not a Lee Worthy or a Clark for St Albans or a Bolton for, you know, for Carl Shorten. I'm not. I scored in all seven rounds of the FA Cup. My friend, this is my friend, because I was telling him I was coming, he goes, I scored in all seven rounds of the FA Cup in my career. I scored in every round of the trophy bar the semi and won another one. I scored in every round of the League Cup and won it and the final. Every round of the Surrey Senior Cup and won it and scored in the final. So I couldn't have been that bad, even though 120 goals in 360 games isn't a prolific scoring rate, but I wonder how many assists I've got because in those days, Tamar, assists would have, wouldn't have meant nothing. But I know from the younger people like you who play on um, FIFA, and those, the first person you go for is who is the assist king? I'm not sure who it is because I don't play FIFA. I used to play Pro Evolution, so that shows how old I am. But I know that most people go for, I can fame one for strength, Ronaldo, Messi, and they go for the top assist maker. That's what I see. So I thought, oh, maybe I might have got a few more brownie points as being maybe an assist maker. And also, Tamar, I've been on the I've been on the front cover of um one of those football manager games. The picture of me, Jeff, and Simba made uh, you know like the screen. You know when you go into the first screen of a game, mm. like say football manager ninety or nine. No, it would have been maybe two thousand or two thousand one football manager. I think I was on one of those screenshots for one of those games. So I don't think I've done that bad, Tamar, you know, to be honest with you. Even though people, no, even though people will belittle and say it's nothing, that's a crap. Other people say, that's a crap level. That's crap. Oh, you played at Wembley. Oh, that's crap. I'm like, okay, fine. But if it was your son or your brother or your husband, would you be a proud person? That's all I say. Would you be proud? And my family are proud. And as I said to you, to go from there, to represent the university, go to Japan, Made the FA 11, win the trophy, the league. I haven't done too bad because Tamar, you know, I was. Is you winning the Guardian Insurance League Cup final in '96? It sounds like a crazy thing, but that that night and all the K's fans behind the goal and all the Aldershot fans. Oh yeah. Like it's it's incredible. It's funny you say that because I've I've, I've been trying to dig up my video because I want to put it on Facebook. Um, the goals of Wembley because I must have completely I, I knew it was 20 years but I just completely forgot mm. that the date was two weeks ago I'm going to find the videos put the goals on there put it on Facebook so this is a memory maybe put it on YouTube but I remember there's a picture of me and Jack Goodchild and I've got to dig that out that I've got a picture oh, wow. of him and I'll never forget him saying 
he's walking and saying, I had a picture with Eddie with the cup. And I was thinking, no, I'm privileged to be having the picture taken with you because he was such a nice man. And one of the things that really rankles and really kind of makes me think sometimes was that he wasn't there for the trophy final. He missed it all. He even missed the promotion season. That's that's what I mean. Cause he yeah, died, he died think, boxing, boxing day yeah, 97. Yeah, because I remember, I never forget Colin Luckett crying. That's what I mean. Now you're making me think, mm. I never forget Colin Luckett crying. Cause I think we was gonna pay. I'm sure we was gonna pay Dulwich or somebody. Yeah, we paid Dulwich on Boxing Day, and we all found out it. he died. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And I, I hope he's looking down and he saw us winning. But it would have been that for him to have gone up those stairs in the last trophy final at Wembley, say with Matt Cossie and Lee Worthy, lift that trophy. I would have been the happiest person because he was such a nice man. Honest. Yeah. Told you how it was. If you didn't play well, if you didn't play well. That's cool. Not bitching behind your back or saying anything. He will just tell you. But if you played well and he's telling you, you you've got to take that on board because at the end of the day, he's watched people like these people like Johnny Wing or people like that. You know, all these. So they were meant to have been great players in, in their day, but I never got to see them. So, so for Jack, you know, that's one thing I wish. If there's one thing I wish, Tamer, that would have been that he could have been there for those trophy and those yeah. FA Cup games. That's why we still hold up the Jack Army banner and sing Weaving in and Out. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Brilliant, Eddie. Thanks for that. No worries. No worries. Take Thank care, you. man. Bye. Thank you. See you later. Bye.
and so to the results in brief. All nine of our tests followed the same outcome. Estonian games held on a Monday were observed to have higher expected attendances than their Wednesday equivalents. Five of these tests also recorded as statistically significant, meaning we can hold high confidence that they will be repeated in the future under the same conditions. We've produced the full results and we'll be sharing them with the board this week. Uh, these include some commercials, which we obviously shouldn't be going into here, but it goes without saying that the higher attendances would equate to an increased game receipt. In addition, our current landlords, current and casuals, would presumably benefit from an increased bar take from the move back to Monday as the Estonians preferred midweek day. So there you have it. From a purely attendance and commercial perspective, Kingstonian are better playing midweek games on Mondays over Wednesdays.